We're so glad you're here with us today. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend. And what we want to do as we welcome you today is we want to make sure you know the easiest way to be connected to what's going on here at Riverbend. And that's simply through our Riverbend app. And I want to encourage you to download that app. And also, if you're not sure how to do that, you can go to our website, riverbendonline.org, and it gives you instructions. But in this app, it lets you know what's going on as far as Sunday morning, as far as the notes to follow along with today's message, as well as other ways to get plugged in and connected here. It's our desire for you to find a place to belong here and for you to be a part of what God is doing here, not just on Sundays, but through the week as well. So I want to encourage you to download that app as we are seeking to help ensure community is really happening as a part of our, our church and the life of who we are as individuals and then collectively together. But again, we're glad that you're here with us as we are continuing our teaching series called Run Your Race. And here's a question I want us to wrestle with today, and it's simply this. How do we run to win the race? How do we run to win the race? Now, here's, here's something that is very interesting when you think about racing and how we go about winning a race. We know that training's important, important part of it. We talked about the importance of discipline and getting better and improving on your times. But if you're going to run to win the race, you've got to not only do the training, you've also got to do, when you enter into a race, you've got to do the registration, right? There's a registration that you have to do. You've got to meet certain requirements that they give. You've got to put money down to ensure you have a spot, depending on the, the type of race it is. And there's also ways in which you're to run, and there's parameters that they give you in order for you to ensure that you compete not only in the race, but in a way that would cause you to win the race. In other words, you couldn't just show up like they do in that episode of Seinfeld, right, where last minute they come in as the race is over almost, and then all of a sudden you see Jerry starting to run in the race, no, he would be disqualified if they realized what had happened. You know, in the same way, we can not only be disqualified from doing something like that, but whether we take a substance that makes us stronger or faster, people are disqualified all the time for races because of things like that or athletic competitions as well. And so what we want to do is in our own lives, in our journey of coming after Jesus, we want to run in such a way that we experience all that he's intended and created us for. Because this book that we've been looking at since 2021, the, the book of Hebrews, is really about that. It's about seeing Jesus for all that he is, to step into the defining moments that he has for our lives, and to run the race that each and every one of us has been created for. But in order to do that, we've got to know what he has for us, and we've got to step into it the way that he's designed our lives to be lived out. Because each of us was created on purpose and for a purpose. And one of the things that's so interesting when you go through the book of Hebrews, as you read through this New Testament letter, is you hear a lot of beckoning back to the Old Testament. And part of that is because they were having such a difficult time fully understanding the weight, the value, and the significance of who Jesus was. They were tempted to be drifting away from putting their full trust in who Jesus is. They would be like, Jesus is good, but other religious leaders would come around and say, you need to add to Jesus. You need to add to what he's done. But then there's this other part of it where it's not only that you would add to what Jesus had done, but also you'd miss out on what you have rightfully been given through him and what he has for you. And what the 
author of Hebrews does is he compares it to Esau. And Esau had been given this birthright. And as he had been given this birthright that was his, it was rightfully his. He was the oldest son. And he rightfully was going to receive a certain inheritance. But instead of receiving the inheritance, he did something impulsive. And he did something that didn't keep in mind the long-term game. He impulsively and wanted a quick fix. And so what he did is he sold his birthright for some food. He sold his inheritance for, for some food. He, he did something that was instant gratification oriented. And haven't we been there before, right? Where we trade something that is of lesser value for something that's more valuable. We make that trade. And he made that trade. And, and it didn't change the fact that he still was the son of Isaac. It didn't change that. You know, it didn't change the fact that he was, he was Isaac's son. But here's what it did change. It did change the fact that he couldn't receive what was rightfully his. He was unable to do it. He had given it up. And you know, as we think about that in our own lives as well, what we want to do is we want to know how we should run to win, but also how we're not to run. How we're not to run. We don't want to get so caught up in the trap like Esau did, who was so fixated on instant gratification that he missed out on what was rightfully his. And each and every one of us has something in Jesus that is rightfully ours because of who Jesus is and because of what he says and has for us. So as we think about that today, the first part of what we're going to see is how we're to come to this place, how we're to come to this, this place in order to run our, our race the way that it's intended to be done. And, and in order to fully understand that, we've got to know how we're not to go. And so listen to what the author of Hebrews says here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. He says this, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that he, that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And I want you to hear what's going on here. God had a way in which he related to the nation of Israel. And specifically, he spoke to Moses on what's called Mount Sinai. So this is a reference to an Old Testament story and a, and a historical event that happened. And he spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. And these commands and these laws were given so the people would know how they were intended to live. There were these boundary lines that were given because the nation of Israel was intended to be a, a light that would point to other nations, the one true God. They would, they would point them back. They would be almost like a runway to, hey, this is how you know the one true God. And the way in which he related to them was a way of speaking through, again, Moses and through the law. And then there are these ways in which he would operate with them. So you wouldn't go to Mount Sinai and touch it because if you touched it, you would die because God was dwelling there as he was talking to Moses. And so there's these, these things that are laid out and, and the law in itself is not flawed, but our inability to keep it is flawed. It helps us to know what we're not able to do before a holy and a righteous God. It, it reveals to us our need for 
what he himself would provide for us. Now, I want you to hear this because what he's not saying is that what happened in that time wasn't God working. God was working. But he says to them, you have not come this way. In other words, you want to hold on to the way in which Moses related? Moses related to God and how the people related to God through Moses. But I'm telling you, this is not the way that you've come. You have not come this way. You want to add to what Jesus has done by putting Jesus plus Moses and the way he related to God in the Old Testament. And I'm telling you, Jesus is the fulfillment of what Moses was experiencing. In other words, Moses was the forerunner before what before Jesus, and Jesus would come, and as Jesus would come, he would fulfill all the things that Moses spoke to the people about. He would fulfill the requirements of the law. He himself was able to do that, and he performed perfectly. And as we've looked at this series and, and looked through the book of Hebrews, after he paid the sacrifice once and for all, he sat down to show us his victory. And so he's saying, listen, there's a way in which Moses related to God, but we're not relating to God in that same way. There's another way. You have not come this way. You have not come this way to him. So as we think about this, as we think about winning the race, there's a couple of things. We run to win. We don't enter the wrong way. And when I say enter the wrong way, we need to have a reverence and a holy fear and wonder about who God is. So please don't hear me minimizing that. But what Moses was experiencing and what he was seeing was the power and the the weight and the magnificence of who God is. But for us, we don't enter that same way because Jesus now is the one we enter through. The people interacted with God through what Moses would speak to them as God would speak through him. But we go directly to God through what Jesus has done. He is are the way, right? Jesus would say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And as we think about entering the wrong way, you know, it's so easy in our, in our day and age when we use GPSs to get everywhere. I don't know about you, but I do that all the time. And recently, I was trying to get to a place in Quakertown to see my good buddy who had opened another restaurant, Ziad. We call him Z. He owns True Blue. And he had opened another a restaurant. We were trying to get there to see him, but the GPS took us right past it. It took us right past the restaurant. And, other, and what had happened is it hadn't updated. The maps hadn't updated to this new thing that they had opened up. And so as a result, we drove right past it. We had to turn around in order to get there. You know what? In our spiritual journey as well, we can do that. We can come to God the wrong way. We can come in a place of our ability through white knuckling our, our effort through our white knuckling efforts and religiosity and our moral law keeping. We can do it that way. Or, or we can do it in our own wisdom and know how. We think we know better than God. We think we know better in our own lives than what He has for us. So we run to win though when we don't enter the wrong way. So what does that look like? Well, we are disqualified when we try to prove we are justified. So part of the way of entering the wrong way is to be disqualified, just like Esau. Esau was disqualified, forfeited what was rightfully his. And, and the way he did it, again, was this instant gratification. In our own lives, though, we can do that as well. We can turn to a, a place of trying to prove our value and our worth and our significance through our own effort and our own strength. 
We are disqualified when we are trying to prove we are justified. And we're going to hear later on how we truly are justified. But I want us to ask ourselves the question, how do I try to justify myself? What is it that I look to? What is it that I, I hold on to to say, hey, look at me. Look, you know, look how impressive I am. Look how I've proven myself. What are those things in our lives? The other part of this is we are disqualified when we strive in our own strength and wisdom. We are disqualified when we strive in our own strength and wisdom. And in this day and age that we live in, it's easy not only to come in our own power, in our own mind, in our own efforts, but also in our own wisdom. It's what the scriptures call the wisdom of the world, uh, the wisdom of the age. But what we need is a supernatural wisdom. If we're going to run the race, if we're going to run to win, if we're going to know what it is and how it is that we're to run, we need to know God's heart and will for us. And that's why you're going to hear me say again and again, we want to look to Jesus, who is the word who became flesh, as the gospel of John would say. And that word becoming flesh and dwelling among us really is, is who we're coming after and who we're journeying with. But in order to know what he has for us, Opening God's word, the scriptures, the Bible, is how we get to his heart for us. It's how we get to his heart for us. And as we think about that, as we think about that, we need to be a people that ask the question, am I holding on to not only the world's wisdom, but my own wisdom over his wisdom? And here's just something that may be helpful to you. Whenever you're at a crossroads and you look at what Jesus says and what you say, and they don't match, you're always going to be wrong. Just in case you didn't know, newsflash, right? <laughs> you're, you're wrong. But to get to that point where we really believe that and live like that, again, we are disqualified when we strive in our own strength and wisdom. So here's a question I want you to think about. What in your life is forfeiting your ability to run freely? What is it right now in your life that's forfeiting your ability to run freely, to run the race that you're intended and created for, the race that God has for your life, to understand what he says of you as joining in his family, being a son and daughter of the Most High, to be a kingdom citizen, to practice, and practice that kingdom citizenship and to understand the privileges and the rights and the responsibilities. What in, it, what in your life is forfeiting your ability to run freely? I want you to be thinking about that. Because in our own life, there are things that are going to come up and they're going to trip us up. And, and they're not always bad. Sometimes it's good versus best, as we've talked about before. But sometimes there are things in our story, in our lives that have happened, that we don't realize they've taken place. But as we pray through them and work through them, God reveals to us, hey, wait a minute, there's this part in your story that you haven't dealt with. And there's something you've believed about yourself, about what God has for you, and about said issue. And what we need to do is we need to come before him to let him show us those things. And as we are running with others towards what it is God has for our lives, then it allows us to fully understand the magnitude and the significance of what he shaped us for. And we can run freely. So again, what in your life is forfeiting your ability to run freely? Well, it continues on here in Hebrews 12, 22 through 24, it says this, but you have come to Mount Zion. So you don't come to Mount Sinai, you come to Mount Zion 
to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so what he says is, hey, you don't come to a literal mountain any longer. You come to Mount Zion. And Mount Zion speaks of this idea that that God has created this new heavens and this new earth. And in that, in this new Jerusalem, this Jerusalem that once was there with Moses, this Jerusalem that has been destroyed by Rome, this new Jerusalem will not be destroyed. And it's a beautiful picture that he's laying out. And he's saying in this heavenly Jerusalem, we are part of, we are part of this new heavenly Jerusalem. We're citizens of this kingdom. We are citizens of that. And he talks about this, you know, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. In other words, they are celebrating the reality of who King Jesus is. They see, again, his, his might, his majesty, his power to the church of the, the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. In other words, there are followers of Jesus. And as we are followers of Christ and as we put our trust in him, our names are written there. There are people that are going to be there. There's a community of people. And he says, you come to the God who's the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And really, this mediator of a new covenant, it's better than what Moses experienced. It wasn't that God wasn't in the old covenant, but there's a better way to relate to God because of what Jesus has done. It's not through our sacrificial system of offering a sacrifice again and again. It's what Jesus himself would offer for us. And just a few moments, we're going to take communion and remember that and remember what he's done for us. But as you think about what it speaks to here, it speaks of the fact that Jesus, what he spilled out for us, it says, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And, and what this speaks of is Abel's blood cried out for justice. It cried out for justice because his brother Cain had murdered him and killed him. But Jesus' blood speaks of how God's justice is met in him and what he would do for us because of our inability to keep God's perfect standard, his holy standard, his righteous standard. His blood speaks this better word over us, this word of peace, this word of being made right with God. And as we think about this, this is really interesting because we hear about three older brothers in Hebrews chapter 12. We hear about older brother Esau. <laughs> we hear about older brother Jesus. And then we hear about the older brother that murdered Abel, Cain. But Jesus is the good and perfect older brother. Jesus is the good and better, perfect version of Moses and what Moses would give us. Jesus is. And as you think about what this says, it says that Abel's blood did reach God's ears and that justice is a part of God's kingdom and agenda. And we want to join Jesus and not only understanding the heavenly citizenship that is tomorrow and future oriented, but what that means today. 
that we see life from his vantage point and that we allow his kingdom to have rule and reign over every part of who we are and about what it is that we're going to do and how we're going to join him about bringing his kingdom to the earth. That we're going to be a people who are going to preview and be a preview of that coming kingdom. We're going to join him in that. We're going to care about what he cares about. And we're going to run with Jesus towards what it is he has for us and for others to care about the least, the lost, the lonely, to care about those who, who have been murdered. And as they've been murdered in an innocent way, that we're going to care about them. We're going to care about the people all around us who are in a place and in a position where justice is needed. But knowing that that's near God's heart, a heart of justice, a heart of compassion, a heart of, of love and truth and grace. These are all parts of God's heart. And as kingdom citizens, we're going to grow in our ability to bear the fruit of the Spirit as we stay close to Jesus. We're going to journey with Jesus. And as we journey with him, we will prioritize what he prioritizes and our character will be transformed into his likeness. So as we think about this, Here's a couple of things to give us. We run to win when we enter the right way. And the right way, as we saw last week, is through Jesus. It's through faith and trust in Jesus. So if you have yet to do that, I want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. But there's another part of this, which is following after and letting Jesus lead our lives so that we can receive all that he has for us. We don't want to live such in a way that we would follow in the footsteps of Esau, who was so quick to sell something that was not of great value for something, for something that was of more significance in his life. We want to we not be like Esau, who wanted that instant gratification that we miss the one who truly satisfies our life. So we run to win when we enter the right way. And that's coming after who Jesus is and what he has for us. We are qualified when we are justified by Jesus. We are qualified when we are justified by Jesus. Instead of trying to, to prove our worth, our value, our significance, instead of looking at our own wisdom and our no, understanding and know-how, we understand the one where the demands of justice is fully met, and that is through Jesus. And Jesus justifies us. He makes us righteous. He adds to our account what we could never do in our own power and might and strength. Jesus. Jesus does that. He justifies us. So we are qualified when we are justified by Jesus. And being justified by Jesus then allows us to come to God as confident children. To come to God as confident children. And it doesn't minimize the power and the might of this holy and righteous God. As we read, he's the judge, right? It doesn't minimize all those things, but it's, it's like, in a less perfect version, my relationship to my son, Ray. Ray knows my strength and my power. He knows I can overpower him. I can pick him up, put him on the sofa, tickle him. You know, he knows I have that ability at any point. He may be fast, but right now, dad can catch up with him, right? He understands my strength and my speed. He understands that when he's not being obedient to what I'm talking about, but there is a loving discipline that comes. He understands that. But that doesn't hinder him from lacking confidence in me because he also knows that I'm for him and I love him. He knows that I enjoy him. 
He knows that I, I love to laugh with him. He knows when he's singing new songs, like we're, we're watching the show on, on Netflix called uh, Beetle Beats. <laughs> and it's his animation series and it has all these Beatles songs. And all you need is love is in one of those songs. And, and he, we start singing that together. We start singing, all you need is love, or, or paperback writer, paperback writer. And he's just loving that. He's loving those times with me, or teaching me what he's learning at school. And he sings the song, 24-7, God is watching over you. And nah, nah, nah. He's just singing these things. And what's happening? He knows that I want to be in those moments. He knows that he can ask me what he thinks he needs. <laughs> but just because he asked doesn't mean it's going to happen. But there's this, this confidence that he has in his imperfect father. How much more so should we have that confidence to come to God as our heavenly father, as confident children in who he is? And this is what this is talking about in this passage, that we can come to him. We can come to him as family because we are part of God's family. The other part of this is we are accepted and approved by God. We are accepted and approved by God. God loves and accepts us for who we are. There's nothing we can do to make him love us uh, more or love us even less. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing we can do. And so he accepts and approves, us, approves of us. And his acceptance and approving of us isn't the same as he approves of everything that we say or do. You know, that, that's not how it works. Just like with my son Ray, I always am going to accept and approve my son. But I will not always, well, I will not always accept and approve everything that he does. Like, it doesn't work that way. There's a difference. There's a difference of, of understanding who he is and what he does. And being able to separate the two. But we need to understand that too in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And here's the other part of this, that Jesus wants to run with you. Will you run with him? As you hear this passage, it talks about being a citizen of heaven, about being about the, the kingdom business that Jesus talked about when he talks all throughout the Gospels, but specifically in Matthew 6 and Matthew 11, where he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be add, added unto you. When he says, hey, when you seek the kingdom, it's of great treasure and value and reward for you and towards you. He wants us to run with him. He wants us to keep company with him. He wants us to journey with him. And you know what? When we keep company with Jesus, we take on his characteristics. We take on his attitudes. We take on his perspective. And then we take on his actions as well. You know, it's like when Chris was, Pastor Chris was away on vacation. And it was the week before Easter. And we had to make some videos. And, and Katie Casamasa, who's our connections coordinator here at Riverbend, was doing the videos. And and we were going to different places. I said, oh, Katie, we got to be mindful of the sound because there are airplanes over here. we got to make sure the lighting's just right. And Katie knows me well enough to know that in my own know-how, I'm not wired that way. And she says, I'm impressed how Pastor Chris has taught you these things. And I said, well, that's how it happens when you spend time with somebody for over a decade. <laughs> you take on their vantage point and perspective and understanding and know-how. You know, in the same way, in our life with Jesus, when we journey with Jesus, we take on who he is, his values, and then it impacts the way we go about living our lives. And so as you think about that, 
How will you run with him today, this week, this month, this year? I want you to be thinking about that. I want you to think about what are some things that will enhance your running with Jesus. Some of us, it's opening God's word and, and just reading through the scriptures and, and, and really meditating upon it. And I know some of us, we love those lingering times of having a cup of coffee and reading and those are incredible when they happen. But for many of us, <laughs> we're not in that season where we're able to do that. But I had a friend recently say to me, a pastor friend who recently retired, he said, I don't know why it took me to retirement and why it takes us to a place where life fully shuts down and slows down for us to linger with Jesus. And I thought about that. I'm like, hmm, what if, what if the, the way in which we lived our lives allowed us to linger with Jesus? And that means to make space in our schedules for sure, but sometimes it's in the everyday occurrences of life. Sometimes it's when you're making the coffee to intentionally pray. You know, sometimes it's when you're in the office and you're looking at that spreadsheet. How can you be mindful and aware of who he is? You know, because God's kingdom isn't limited to a building of a church, right? God's kingdom is advancing in, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at the local Starbucks, at the Wawa's, you know, in our offices, where we work at, whether we're a work-at-home parent or, or we work outside the home parent. Either way, he wants to walk with us. He wants us to journey with him. And I want you to just be praying every day, Jesus, help me to be aware of you and help me to advance your kingdom in my life and all around me. I want to see you and see how you're working. Let me linger with you. Some of us, maybe we need to just get outside and take in who he is in that way. Another way to do this is through visuals. And, and, and what I mean by that is artistic expressions like the show The Chosen. If you haven't been watching The, Sh- the Chosen, it's a great show. It helps, I think, each of us to see the beauty of who Jesus is in a deeper way, especially when we're surrounded by such brokenness. And then as we think about this, the other part of what we read in Hebrews is community. There are people who rally around together, coming after what it is that God has for them. And even the book of Hebrews is written to a community of people. So I want you to think about what three friends will join you on this run. As you run towards Jesus and after Jesus and with Jesus, who are the three friends? And I know it's easy to be like, oh, I have more than three friends. No, I want you to just think of three friends that are going to point you to Jesus, who love you, value, who are going to cheer you on and challenge you, who are going to affirm you and hold you accountable. Who are those three friends? Who are those people? And as we think about entering into to a stadium, you know, there's these different seating uh, components there, right? There's the, the top level, like upper level. There's the, the, the mid level. Then there's the bottom level. And then there's the actual place, the playing field or the track where, where they end up c- competing or performing. And I want you to think about your friendships like that. There are people who are on the top level, like people you relate to. There are people who are on the mid-level, and then there are people on the lower level. But then there are people who are actually on the field with you. And we need to be thinking about who are those three friends that are on the field with us? Because really, those types of friends that are on the field with you, they're not many. They're few. And I want you to prayerfully consider who those people are. And again, if we're going to run to win the race that Jesus has for us, we need others to run with us.
And so as we think about that, I want you to be answering those questions this week. Again, how will you run with Jesus? First of all, do you want to run with him? How will you run with him? Uh, you know, in, throughout your, your, your days. How are you going to do that this day, this week, this month, this year? And then the other question is, who are those three friends who are going to run with you? Let's pray together. Father, right now, we thank you. We love you. We're grateful for all that you have for us. Lord, I pray that we would run in such a way that we wouldn't forfeit what you have for us. We wouldn't be disqualified. But rather, we would run in response to what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. That would be the fuel behind what we do. Help us to examine if we've put our trust in you, if we've become a follower of you. And then secondly, help us to examine in our lives how we can run with you, how that will take shape, and who those three friends are that are going to push us towards all that you have for us, Jesus. Lord, we love you so much, and we're grateful. We're grateful that we can call upon you. We thank you that, Jesus, your blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We thank you that your new covenant speaks a better word than the old covenant. We thank you, Jesus, that you're a better brother, better brother than Esau was and Jacob was. You're a better brother than even Cain and Abel were. Lord, you're, you're, you're so good. And so help us to see the magnificence and the significance of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.